Law Focus Podcast, bringing you the facts, handing you your rights. This is Law Focus. Good evening and welcome to Law Focus. I'm Veronica Mohwadi, your voice of law for the evening, right here on VOFM 88.1. Join me as we unpack everything law-related every Tuesday evening from 7pm till 8pm. As a country, we are gearing up for the 21st of March, which is a celebration of human rights. Law Focus this week will be unpacking a subject that looks at their violation of human rights and has been making recent headlines. South Africans have been rallying behind our golden girl, Mohadi Kasta Semenya, in the recent weeks. Semenya went to the Court of Arbitration for Sports in Switzerland to challenge proposed rules that could force her to lower her natural hormone levels. Testosterone is a hormone that increases muscle mass, strength and hemoglobin, which affects endurance. Semenya has a condition called hyperandrogenism, which means her testosterone levels are naturally higher. The International Association of Athletics Federation says that it's introducing the rules to create a level playing field for other female athletes. Now, the measures would force so-called hyperandrogenic athletes or those with differences of sexual development to take drugs to lower their hormone levels below a prescribed amount if they wish to continue competing. Now the situation has once again placed the international sporting community in the spotlight, raising concerns of human rights violation, sexism and racism in sports. Joining us for this conversation tonight is Tamara Matubula who is the acting chairperson of the Commission of Gender equality. We also speak to a sports scientist, Candace Martin from the Sports Science Lab South Africa to better understand exactly what the IAAF is proposing and of course how it will affect Custer's health. And lastly we will be in conversation with you our listener. You can send us your voice notes on our WhatsApp line 084-078-4912 You can also send us a tweet on at VOWFM using the hashtag LawFocus. But of course before we get into that, it it is time for our legal hotspots. Rounding up all, all the top all stories, the of, the stories of the week. It's legal hotspots. I'm joined in studio by our law focus researcher, Millicent Indueni, who will be giving us a breakdown of the top legal stories this week. For our legal hotspots this week, we have three people over the age of 35 who have been accused for the murder of Toriso Temani. They presented themselves to the police when they heard that they were on the list of suspects wanted in connection with the killing. The three appeared separately at the Polokwane Magistrate Court from the five school pupils who were arrested in connection with the same killing. Magistrate Maharaj Prakash postponed the case to Monday on the 11th of March for a bail hearing. The five minors are expected to return to the Children's Court on the 14th of March for their bail application. Meanwhile, the 15-year-old who bragged about being untouchable on social media because his father was a police officer is facing another murder charge. He apparently stabbed another 16-year-old schoolboy in December last year. In our second story, William Chandler, a senior South African Airways pilot, has reportedly been forced to step down. This comes after it was found that he'd flown aircraft for more than 20 years with a fake license. According to Mail and Guardian, the discovery was made during a recent investigation into an incident on a flight he piloted. Not much is known about the incident, but it, is, it does appear that the matter was kept under wraps. The airline has since laid criminal charges against him and says it will recover remuneration Chandler earned as a result of his fraud. And finally, 27-year-old Nkosinati Malala from Durban has escaped with a suspended sentence after confessing to killing a man who made unwanted sexual advances on him while driving. Malala was sentenced last week to a 10-year suspended sentence on a charge of culpable homicide for striking Studuzo Butelezi once on the neck and admitting to disposing of his body near a river in Chatsworth. Madala told the court that he struck him once the neck and he was then unresponsive after what he describes to have been a humiliating experience. Madala's attorney, Nkosimpile Mlotwa, asked the court to consider that Madala pleaded guilty and had taken the court into his confidence. Judge Shayam Gyanda said Madala had reacted in a way that any other person in his situation would have. 
And those are our legal hotspots for this week. Thank you, Millison, for our legal hotspots for this week. You are still tuned into Law Focus on VOW FM 88.1. Let's continue with the show as we discuss Custis Menya and the violation of human rights in sports. Rounding up all, all the top all stories, the of, the stories of the week is Legal Hotspots. The world first witnessed Custer Semenya's talent at the 2009 World Championships. It was a, a momentous moment, I mean, for all sports lovers, for all South Africans, and definitely for all Africans. But uh, instead of a celebration of victory, the world began to point fingers. After her victory, she was subjected to gender testing. She was then withdrawn from any international competition until July 2010. Fast forward to 2019 and Custer is facing a landmark hearing to challenge the rules proposed by the International Association of Athletics Federation. Now, the controversial measure would force Custer and other athletes with differences of sexual development to seek treatment to lower their hormone levels below a prescribed amount if they wish to continue competing as women. Now, some of these other athletes that are affected by this ruling is Francine Niyosaba, who is from Burundi and Margaret Wambu, who is from Kenya. The case, of course, does not include sprinters or long-distance runners, but rather targets female middle-distance athletes. A statement issued by Semenya's legal team said she believes that her and the other women affected by the regulations should be permitted to compete in the female category without discrimination and that they should be celebrated for their natural talents as all other athletes with genetic variations are. The, the, the statement continues to say that the IAAF's regulations do not empower anyone, but rather they represent yet another flawed and hurtful attempt to police the sex of female athletes. Now, Semenya is not the first South African to challenge the Court of Arbitration for Sport. Previously, Oscar Pistorius challenged the same institution on the right to participate in able-bodied competitions when he was told that his use of blades gave him an unfair advantage. The case has sparked debates around the issue of racism as a previous woman of Caucasian descent who had similar masculine characteristics as a Semenya were never brought under such intense scrutiny to a point where, you know, a policy had to be changed. In fact, many organizations have voiced their opinion on the matter, such as the Human Rights Watch and the Women's Sports Federation, stating that the that the IAAF is in fact promoting discrimination against women in sport who are perceived as not prescribing to normative ideas about femininity. Now there are many issues surrounding this conversation issues around the right to participate in sport, uh, the policing of female bodies, your right to privacy, your right to dignity there are issues of identity and biology converging and clearly and very evidently issues around gender speaking to us about gender fairness within our society and of course directly towards this conversation within sports is the acting chairperson from the commission of gender equality tamara matibula welcome to law focus thank you thank you for having me and good afternoon to your listeners let's just start with the first question of understanding exactly what is the role and the purpose of the commission of gender equality Thank you very much for that question. Um, our role and purpose as the Commission for Gender Equality, basically, um, just to go back a little bit, um, we are a Chapter 9 institution founded under the Section 187, um, Section 1 of the Constitution of South Africa. Our, our role is to promote respect for gender equality, the protection and the development and attainment of gender equality in South Africa. And we see ourselves as the commission as a catalyst for the attainment for gender equality. And you will remember that in South Africa after 1996, there were six chapter nine institutions that were formed to just make sure that we protect democracy. And then we were given different roles to say human rights is going to, human rights commission is going to look at human rights. So a commission for gender equality is going to make sure that there is promotion of gender equality. We have the auditor general. We have different chapter nine institutions. We have um, the IEC that is responsible for elections. All of these institutions are institutions that are beginning to support democracy. 
Mm. So the Commission for Gender Equality has powers, and we derive our powers from the Constitution of South Africa, but also we derive our powers from the Commission's uh, Act, um, which is Act number uh, 136 of 1996, as amended. And our our power, basically, is to make sure that um, we, we monitor government, we monitor civil society organizations, we monitor private sector in terms of um, a, um, a attainment of gender equality and compliance. And if we feel that all of these institutions are not complying with their policies, with their programs, with their planning, with their budgeting, we are then able to make sure that uh, we investigate why they can't uh, 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 comply um, and then we, we call them in for hearings. So we further do research, we do educate the public, we lobby at, uh, on behalf of women and children and girls and boys and men, and we advise and we report to Parliament. Basically, that's our role as the Commission for Gender Equality. No, that is wonderful. And uh, I want to know as well, just looking at our society as South Africa, I mean, this is a very obvious question, but I want to know from basically, as you said, the investigations and, you know, the, 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 the data that you guys look into as the commission, mm-hmm. how widespread is the discrimination of gender in various spaces of work and in sports in our country? Uh-huh. Thank you very much. Uh, yes, what we do, we normally um, uh, we, we, we normally receive complaints from the public and we have a complaint form that the public can fill. They can download. If you feel that you are discriminated against at work or you are di- discriminated against um, you know, in church or schools or wherever you are based on, the, on your sex or on your gender, then you are able to then contact us. You can download the form and then it's called a complaint form or you can phone us. I think at the end of this interview, I will be giving those details. And then you can fill in that complaint form and then you submit formally to us. If we feel that that particular complaint that you have submitted is gender related, is based on a discrimination, based on your gender or sex, then we take it. But if we feel that it's a human rights related or is it something that we need to refer you to the public protector as one of the chapter nine institutions we do that and then we collect information based on your uh, submission if we feel that it's perhaps about the department that is not observing uh, policies around gender uh, for an example when they hire they hire men only and not women for an example and we will make sure that we go into that institution we invest or maybe if it's a sexual harassment case against your senior person mm. or a manager, then we come to an institution and then we investigate. And after investigation, we compile our preliminary reports and then we call the senior person, the accounting officer of that particular institution to come and account to say, why is there any sexual harassment happening in the institution at this day and age? And if that institution is not complying, is not coming to the hearings, then we are able to subpoena uh, that particular uh, uh, institution. Again, what we normally do, we also, with court cases, cases that go to court, for an example, we go there, we support, we advise, and we also become friends of the court for that particular individual that has been discriminated against. We also do our own research in institutions where we feel that um, sometimes, you know, those institutions are sort of like gender blind. Mm. We will do a research, we will compile our own findings, and then we would share with that particular institution. And then we will advise, we will recommend, and then take that report to parliament to say, we have worked with vets, and vets feels that um, they can take these uh, um, recommendations, and then we we continue to monitor whether you are implementing some of the recommendations that I mean, this is a lot. You guys are really, really working to sort of change and progress the attitude towards gender in the country. That's correct. So I want to know, what is the difference between equality and equity? Thank you very much for that question. Yes, these are um, completely different ways, and I know that some people sort of like use them interchangeably. Um, And again, if you look at uh, 
equality. If we talk about equality, we are talking about a equal representation. We are talking about equal um, powers where people are able to make decisions as equals. If, for an example, you are in an institution, when we talk about gender equality, we are saying make sure that women and men are elevated at the same decision-making processes or at the same positions. So there's equality. So you must be equal at decision-making processes, mm-hmm. at, uh, at uh, uh, um, yeah, and 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 any other uh, 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 processes that are within your institution. So Correct. you must be treated equally. So equal treatment, equal representation, and equal decision-making uh, 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 bodies. But when you talk about equity. This is where we are talking about a payment. For an example, if we feel that uh, you are doing the same work, you are a manager, and your counterpart, who happens to be male, is also uh, doing the same job that you are doing, but the payment is not the same. This is where gender equity comes in because you are doing the same job, but the payment is not exactly the same. Let me make an example for an example. When we talk about equity in sports, for an example, you will find that we always make comparison between what is happening with Banyana Banyana and Bafana Bafana. Banyana Banyana are playing the same football. They go to, they compete outside the country. They win. They win. Uh, um, You know, they Mm. win. Mm. Uh, And they bring back, you know, some of those trophies and all of that. And they really play very hard. But if you compare what they are getting in terms of salary uh, payment uh, compared to what the male counterparts are getting, this is definitely not the same. So this is where equity comes in. Oh, absolutely. And of course, the commission released a statement now that we are getting into the conversation around sports. And they stated that they are giving full support to Casta Semenya as she challenges the proposed policy changes by the IAAF. I mean, let's just briefly hear what your stance is on this matter. Thank you very much for the question. Um, and I really love this, this conversation around Casta Semenya. I'm so passionate. Um, Look, what we have been doing basically is that for a long time, for as long as last year, when the new IWAF regulations came out, I think around April, in May, CGE was the first organization that issued a statement that was condemning what the International Association of Athletic Federation was actually saying because it's actually targeted discriminatory regulations against female sports women like Casta. And CGE also this year, when they revised those regulations again, we issued another statement to say this is unjust, this is uh, dehumanizing, this is very sexist. And and, and we also condemned uh, that, you know, if you look at these regulations, basically, they are violating human rights uh, of Casta and, and, and other players worldwide because mm. we know that it can be cast at a day, but tomorrow it can be you, it can be me. Absolutely. So when we issued these statements, we had to look at carefully what the statements were saying and what the regulations were saying. I think the latest EF regulation prescribes that there should be a maximum of, like, I think, about five uh, nanomoles. That is correct, yes. yes. of blood. And, 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 and again, they're talking about per liter of blood from the hormones Zagakasta. Uh, and, 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 and they are saying you need to reduce this because this is higher. Now let me tell you where we actually feel this is not fair mm. on the Casta in particular. Casta has been born like that with high levels of testosterone. And tests have been run. It's not like Casta is injecting additional testosterone medication or anything that goes into his into her bloodstream. No. This is the normal and the body is able to regulate and do its own thing. And then these new regulations are saying decrease and keep that to a minimum. Mm. And we are saying how do you expect me with my normal testosterone to be decreased? Are we going to be doing the same thing with our male counterparts if they are producing a lot of oestrogen levels? Correct. Are we going to say 
decrease those female um, hormones mm. um, to, to a certain level of five nanomoles um, to, for you to actually switch and face um, and, and not be able to face elimination uh, in the championship. Mm. So we really feel that this is unfair to Casta. Casta is, his body is, redu- is, is producing those. There is no way that we can say reduce. And secondly, it's not actually giving female or women uh, um, a champions an additional advantage or added advantage. Because Casta, if you look at Casta, Casta trains hard before she goes and competes. It's not like because she has an added advantage of additional testosterone. She sits at home, she doesn't practice because she knows that when she goes there, she, she will just will finish win. the next day. Yeah. So we feel that the, the regulations themselves, there may not be anything very wrong with them, but I think it's the implementation that is wrong to say reduce and you cannot run in a 400 or an 800 in a, 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 a kilometers because those are, 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 are directly affecting Casta's uh, certain kilometer uh, radius or race that she has to run. It's, yep. it's not everybody. They said X number of kilometers. Mm-hmm. And we are saying naturally, this, this the rollout of these EF regulations must be looked at because we feel when they need to be rejected because they are not treating female athletes carriers very well. I mean, and we are saying that um, as CGE, we have done quite a lot of work in terms of engaging mm. the public. We have engaged other Chapter 9 institutions because we feel it's violation of general rights, mm. human rights, dignity as enshrined in the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. And we have engaged other international sports federations, including ours in here, in South Africa. We have um, engaged the Department of Sports and Recreation. We have engaged other international uh, agencies like the UN Women and the DECO because we feel that those are our international mouthpieces to take a stand and reject the implementation of the EAF's uh, prejudice kind of um, um, regulations. That's where we are right now. Well, ma'am, let's just also look at the fact that should the IAAF win this case, what role can we play as society in challenging the ruling? I think should they rule, you know, against what we are currently, you know, standing together and fighting for in general. I think what we need to do is, even if they have been passed or adopted or anything like that, we must continue to fight for the elimination of Kasha, because I think this is where this whole thing is going to, that, you know, certain people might be eliminated. And we feel that, you know, one of our own cannot be eliminated because of this. So we must continue to fight to say, even if they pass, but we are questioning the implementation thereof. If they have to be implemented in a way that would actually accommodate Kasha and other female athletes, and not actually, you know, make rules to say this one because has X amount of testosterone in the bloodstream, then this person must be ruled out. So we will continue to fight, even if they are approved internationally. But I think if we can stand in solidarity with other countries, there is very little chance that these can be can be passed. Absolutely. And you know, uh, Metamara, you spoke about something that was quite interesting when you said. You know, it's not as if Custa is doping to add on, you know, these hormones. These are natural and these are born. She's born this way. And I think it brings on the case of what is considered an unfair advantage when it comes to sports. I mean, many accidents of nature are automatically classified as an unfair advantage. Height, muscle. So what is considered an unfair advantage in this case? I think that we consider that unfair advantage at this stage and in Custer's uh, uh, situation is that um, I think, um, you know, Custer has, um, um, you know, um, more muscles than uh, other female athletes that she competes with, um, which is why Custer is a bit faster than everybody else. 
that's unfair advantage according to, to these rules. And if you remember, there's a guy, I will not mention him, who is um, doing high jump. No, it's not high jump, it's long jump. That guy can jump from one place to the other end because he has a 16 centimeter, no, is it centimeter? He was size 16 of the shoe. So he will jump in such a way that he will jump until the foot you know, goes on the other side of the line. That is considered unfair advantage as well. So in that case, can we say, you know, go and make sure that uh, that foot is amputated in some way or the other because it's longer than others. Absolutely. So that, that, that's very uh, you mm. know, unfair. Mm. And if we can even mention other uh, um, uh, players in, in tennis, for an example, and I know that this one I can actually mention without even feeling um, uh, apologetic. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at Novratilova, for an example, who is also assisting Casta uh, in fighting this case, um, is also you know one of the women who whose body. Um, has been built in such a way that, um, you know, she has more muscles, she, um, you know, she can take too much pressure on, you know, based on that body. And, and, and this is what is considered, you know, and, you know, a, a, you know an advantage for those, for those people. And mm-hmm. they say it's a bit unfair to others. And, and we are questioning all of these things to say, okay, fine, if they are doping, if they are injecting, yes, maybe we can sit back and, and, and say, okay, it means you are getting extra because you are putting extra into your body. It's, it's, it's a doping thing. But if your body is producing this in numbers, naturally, would you be penalized for mm. it? Why are we penalizing people mm. whose testosterone are natural and mm. who even work hard towards achieving what they are achieving? And with, in regards to the issue of human rights, I mean, there also is a bearing on the psychology of these affected parties and not just Custer alone. What measures have been put in place, of course, to support these athletes through this ordeal, irrespective, of course, of the outcome of the case? Mm. Well, I, I think there's a bit of a psycho, psychological support. Uh, Pasta is going through some kind of counseling um, and the support that she's getting, uh, including others. And, uh, and we are also calling uh, uh, on all South Africans to say, let's encourage our golden girl, Mamukhadi, Kasta Simenia, uh, not to give up. Um, we must always tell her that we admire her uh, for her resilience against all these pressures and efforts to demoralize her, to humiliate her, to, to destroy her career. So we must stand with her. We must show solidarity. We must make sure that and she is really encouraged to continue uh, despite all of this. And just a final question for you, Tamara. I mean, institutions such as the IAAF are led and, of course, headed by a majority of white males coming from Western countries. And, of course, their challenges are definitely very, very different from a young black woman, you know, a young black athlete in South Africa. Mm-hmm. I mean, in light of this, could we argue that this is another case of racism, sexism and bigotry? I think if you look at it that way, it could be it could be classified as, as such because even the you know if 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 you look at the um, the complexion as well as the uh, how these are constituted, um, you will find that the majority is male, and including the researchers, I'm 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 very worried about the scientists who actually released because the reason why I'm worried even about the scientists themselves who are predominantly white. Those are the scientists that actually advise this particular uh, federation to say, yes, this is right, this is not right. And including advising them on the liters of blood, on what should be run and what sh- should not be run. And you will find that those scientists themselves are not women in the first place. Those scientists have very little experience in terms of what the entire LGBTIQA community is. You will find that they know nothing about those people. They know nothing about uh, women who are, um, you know, who are releasing so much testosterone in their blood. They have never even looked at it that way. They know nothing about the LGBTI community. And we are saying those people who know nothing, must keep quiet and we will continue as a continent fight for this because this is how we are built in Absolutely. Africa. Absolutely.
Absolutely. Yes. Thank you yes. so much, Tamara Matabula, who is the acting chairperson for the Commission of Gender Equality. That was a very lengthy and extremely informative conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, and thank you for having me. Thank you. Law Focus, handing you your rights. The United Nations Universal Declaration of Human Rights stated in 1948 that sport and physical activity are a human right. Now, the history of women in sports is marked by division and discrimination and ridiculous notions such as sports as harmful to the reproductive health of women, which have only fueled these and other stereotypes even further. After World War II, the International Olympic Committee had a requirement that nations participating should serve certify that their women participants were indeed female. This controversial policy included physicians actually visually inspecting the genitalia of women Olympians in what was termed the nude parade. By 1966, this was replaced with a chromosome-based test. Any woman who failed the test if the presence of a Y chromosome was detected in her would be barred from participating in the sporting world. This was again challenged in 1985 by Maria Jose Martinez Badino, who, because of her hyperandrogenic status, failed the test. The new test following this was said to be less invasive, which is the one that Casta Semenya was brought under scrutiny for in 2009. A few years later, Semenya and other women who fell outside the scope of their testosterone being under the appropriate range for women in comparison to that of men were forced to undergo hormone replacement therapy to compete. This included Dante Chad, who appealed the gender testing and won the case on the basis of there being no scientific evidence that women with higher testosterone levels had an unfair advantage over other women. The new regulations require any athlete who has a difference of sexual development to reduce her blood testosterone level to below 5 nanomoles per litre for a continuous period of at least 6 months. Thereafter, she must maintain her blood testosterone level below 5 nanomoles per litre continuously, whether she is in competition or out of competition, for as long as she wishes to remain eligible to compete in world athletics. Now, Semenya's legal team argue that her advantages are no different from other genetic variations celebrated in sports and that her genetic gift should be celebrated and not discriminated against. And of course, to better understand how science and sports collide, our researcher Millicent Indueni spoke to Candice Martin, a sports scientist from the Science Sports Lab, South Africa, to define and explain what the IAAF is proposing. Thank you so much for joining us on the line, Ms. Martin. Welcome to VFM Law Focus. Thanks for having me. Now, how significant is science when it comes to sports and what role does it play? Oh, well, it's not just significant, it's fairly critical, really. Um, if, you, if, if we don't have science, how do we objectively base whatever we are practicing clinically? Um, if you take, for example, uh, Professor Nosecat against the HPCSA that was just part that was all about the science and how the science was interpreted and how the uh, results from the science was how it would affect um, actually policy or anything really so science is absolutely critical otherwise we've got very many opinions but no real facts I guess mm. so absolutely critical and there are many different hormones in our bodies that obviously mm-hmm. play their own roles that are specific to how the physiology is supposed to function. Now, when it comes mm-hmm. to sports, what role or functions do hormones play, particularly with, with regards to performance in sporting activities? So, performance obviously is related to many different aspects. I mean, strength, flexibility, power, explosiveness, how quickly and how well an athlete can recover. Uh, all many different things, and all of our various systems physiologically is regulated by hormones. So, uh, for example, testosterone, obviously we know it boosts a little bit of hypertrophy, so that means muscle bulk, etc. Adrenaline, for example, is critical prior to a meet or prior to a race because it boosts the sympathetic nervous system, the fight and flight system. Then you get, get other hormones that, are, that regulate the parasympathetic nervous system, which is vital for recovery. So hormones ultimately are the little regulators for 
each and every physiological system, which obviously is empirical for both performance and recovery for any athlete as well as just any human. <laughs> and we're looking at now with the case that's going up with um, CASTA, the IAA, what the IAAF is also, if I'm not mistaken, very much about hormones. Um, she has now been ranged as an athlete with DSD. And um, mm-hmm. we, we need to try and for, for, for the listeners to understand what exactly um, does this classification mean? Okay, so any athlete um, that has been classified as DSD, they are um, various athletes with, uh, these are athletes with congenital conditions in which the development of chromosomal or gonadal or anatomical uh, features, but that is typical to a, uh, to a specific gender, is atypical. So, for example, you can get men with, which typically has an XY chromosome, but they don't really respond to testosterone, so their bodies might look a little bit more feminine. Then you get um, a female with XX chromosomes, but um, they also have some male anatomical parts. So these are just athletes that have got a specific chromosome that doesn't typically present uh, what we regard as typical to males or females. Yeah, it's very complex. Mm -hmm. And I mean, most of the time, these athletes never know about this until mm-hmm. they are subjected to any testing of the sort. And what then is the IAAF um, actually suggesting with regards to this, this case um, that we are seeing before the course at the moment? So, uh, just perhaps for the listeners to answer this, um, to give some background as, uh, with regards to how it actually came about, is that the IAA's position is that testosterone is the key distinguishing factor between males and female performance. And they believe that athletes with um, DSD um, have an unfair advantage. So in their minds, by regulating the testosterone level, they're leveling out the playing field for males and females. Otherwise, they would say, okay, if everyone can just compete, then there will be no real female sport, isn't it? Because there's not many females that will beat male athletes. That is so, so interesting. Yes. So in 2011, the IAAF introduced a limit to the amount of testosterone that a female competitor has to have in their bloodstream. Initially, it was 10 animals per liter. Um, and then there was an Indian sprinter in 2014 that challenged the drilling. And the highest court then of the IAAA is to suspend the tool for two years as they have been, as been investigated first. So this is where the science now came in. They had to um, conduct a study to actually get, get evidence to show that this testosterone actually um, in the same what we classify as, let's say, female, if they do have higher testosterone, they would in fact perform better. So they've now come back and said that they have conducted the study and that um, that they have found differences in some of the events, not all of the events, though. And this is why they now want to to implement those uh, five nanomoliter uh, per liter uh, um, at the highest level of testosterone that's allowed in a lady uh, or in a female blood. It's such a technical answer. What are nanomoles? Mm-hmm. <laughs> nanomoles is just a unit. It's for instance, like we say, it's you know, 500 milliliters in a bottle of Coke. Uh, that's just a unit in which uh, in which the testosterone molecules are measured. <laughs> sure. Okay. Yes. And mm-hmm. if you have to reduce, how how do these drugs then influence your body and performance? So, um, if you think obviously, if um, if someone someone's system is responding to the testosterone, and you have to now level uh, or suppress the testosterone in essence, which is what the drugs would do. Um, then everything really that gets affected by testosterone would get affected. Let's say, for instance, um, high testosterone boosts uh, libido, for example, uh, as has estrogen, actually. So then, let's say, libido would go down a little bit, or if, uh, all, all many things. But really, there's no uh, one standard for how anyone or how any five people would um actually respond to specific drugs. It's difficult to to say exactly what's going to happen to you. Does that mean then it's, it's, it depends on your body? 
It can, it can, it can. I mean, people have got with regards to uh, any pharmaceutical pro- product, there are norms which um, in clinical trials they establish by testing many people, but obviously there are um, people that do respond different. That's why you always get a little paper with uh, all of the adverse effects that get explained to you, et cetera, et cetera. So there are some um, predictions that can be made as to how the testosterone would affect someone physically, but it's not it's not 100% concrete. Mm, okay. Now, there obviously have to be effects and perhaps health risks psychologically, emotionally, physically. What are those that can be expected from taking some of these hormone suppressions? So, I mean, um, obviously we know by now uh, any, um, any uh, let's say, gender-regulating hormones such as testosterone, estrogen, progesterone, there are a million of them. They all have an effect on on. Uh, emotions, psychological, psychologically, physically. So if you just think it's, uh, let's say, PMS, we all get a little bit more grumpy, etc., etc. So emotionally, for sure, it can have a toll. Just because of the chemistry of the body, obviously changes a little bit. Psychologically, um, I think that would be horrible for an individual such as Kasu because essentially the IWF is trying to tell her or to regulate the um, extent of what she, to which she is a, femi- um, a female. Yeah. I mean, no one wants to be told how much of a female you are, right? right? <laughs> so psychologically, that's horrible. Mm. And then physically, like I said, she hasn't taken the drug, so we, can, we cannot push her say how it will affect her. I mean, like I've explained in the previous question, there are some norms that we, you know, you know um, can, can follow, but I'm very reluctant on saying that if she's going to take this session to prison, she's going to be slower. I'm very lucky on saying okay. that. Uh, All right. Yeah. I mean, this is complex, not just for mm. athletes with DSD, but also for trans persons. I mean, let's say hypothetically, Caitlyn Jenner, who was a former Olympic gold medal um, winning decathlete when she was Bruce Jenner, decides that she wants to return to the track. What happens in that situation and with the IAAF's new proposal for the policies that it wants to have? What does she compete as, etc.? How do we then, you know, make sure that she also has equal opportunity? I think that is the ethical dilemma that they are going to sit with if they do decide to implement this. Um, I mean, we haven't, we haven't had such a situation, so we actually want to say let's not cross that bridge until we get there. But that is exactly what I meant with um, people when they conduct studies and when they conduct science, they should consider the practical implications. Um, like, we, like I said in the first question, um, because let's say, for instance, now they've set this level of testosterone to which she has to decrease her levels of testosterone, another practical implication might be other females now saying, okay, but we want to now increase ours to just below that level so that we can have the same benefits. Yeah. So in essence, they'll be doping, but not be found guilty, isn't it? So there's, there's a ton of practical implications. Would introducing a third category in sport be a solution? Gee, that, that is quite the question, isn't it? Um, uh, I think I think it is difficult to say as generally we don't have a third gender, isn't it? No, absolutely. I mean, says, I mean they refer to DSC actually uh, athletes as uh, intersex, mm. but I mean then again some might have more uh, estrogen than testosterone, so then are they going to have subcategories or I've got no idea. I don't think I think we should. Reserve judgment on that until we have to cross that bridge. But for sure, the outcome of uh, this appeal would uh, be the president, uh, which they would follow. It really case. does open up the floodgates, I think, in yep. a way. Oh, for sure. for sure. <laughs> so, our final for question, sure. Candace. Mm-hmm. If Semenya had to lose the case, is there an appeal mm-hmm. court where this matter can then be taken further? Which court is that, and how will that go on? Uh, as, as far as I'm not, I'm not exactly a legal expert in the sports law, but as far as I know, this, uh, she won't be allowed to appeal on the same ground which her lawyers have now assessed for this case. 
Um, I think if there might be something like a class action, like say, say for instance she loses this appeal and there are uh, more athletes like her that decide, listen, we're going to stand up together and then uh, as, as such have a class action, I think that might happen, might, might have the possibility for a next hearing. But I um, I can't for 100% certainty say that she'll have another chance at an appeal. Mm. Okay, thank you so much for joining us. That was Candace Martin, sports scientist from Sports Science Lab SA. Listening to Law Focus? Connect with VowFam88.1 on Twitter and Facebook. Be your own lawyer. Bringing you the facts, handing you your rights. This is Law Focus. If we show emotion, we're called dramatic. If we want to play against men, we're nuts. And if we dream of equal opportunity, delusional. When we stand for something, we're unhinged. It's super it's going to be the calm down. When we're too good, there's something wrong with us. And if we get angry, we're hysterical, irrational, or just being crazy. But a woman running a marathon was crazy. Officials tried to pull her off the course. A woman boxing was crazy. A woman dunking? Crazy. Coaching an NBA team? Crazy. A woman competing in a hit job, changing her sport, landing a double cork 1080, or winning 23 grand slams, having a baby, and then coming back for more? Crazy, 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 and crazy. So if they want to call you crazy, fine. Show them what crazy can do. Women face sexism on a daily basis on all fears of their life, even though they have been demanding to be treated equally. Fighting for their social rights is, in fact, a quite a sad reality as they still don't receive as much respect and recognition as their male counterparts, more so in the sporting industry. It is still believed to be a male-dominated industry and such a case that highlights the unfair treatment of women is this current case of Custa Semenya. We asked you for your opinion about women in sports and Custa Semenya and this is what you had to say. I feel like what they're doing to her is wrong because she was born like that with the levels, whatever levels of hormones she has in her body, that has nothing to do with the achievements in her life because I feel like now it's a matter of, okay, people are starting to feel like other women have a disadvantage when they compete against Ducast because they feel like Ducast has got an advantage because she's, she has more manly hormones and that has nothing to do with her achievement. She was born like that. She's a woman by nature and the fact that she has more of one hormone than the other it has nothing to do with her success. She's a, an athlete. She's a hard worker. That should be what people are threatened by. People should be motivated by her to work harder so that they can compete with her and actually win against her than to now put blame on something else that is irrelevant to her success. So I just feel like basically people are just using this thing to hide the fact that Ukasta is a very good athlete. She was born that way with the highest testosterone. That's who she is. It's not like she's disabled or what that's who she is right i feel like it is unfair to take some people with low testosterone and then you put okay everyone's supposed to be like this everyone some people are exceptional i mean if you look at Houston bolt is tall but there's no specific like height to say an athletic should be this height and if you are a female you are a female by what is it your testosterone or your sexual organs? She was born a female. She should be accepted that way. I feel like the essence of sports is to um, compete with what you naturally have and what um, was what you have from birth. So now being given hormones to change your anatomy, well not your anatomy, but your hormonal levels is in some sense diminishing the whole idea of sports because then if someone can take hormones to lower their testosterone then steroids should also be allowed in the sense that it's um, increasing certain hormones in your body. I think what they're doing to Casta Semenya is not fair because she's constantly had to try to prove herself for many years, you know. She's had the accolades, she's achieved what she's achieved so I think 
it's it's about time that we accept that she's a female. She's part of the game. She's conquered the game, and yeah. It's not fair because she didn't choose to be that way. Like historically, if you look at other cases where other women also had high levels of testosterone, they were also allowed to compete, and their gender identity wasn't questioned. I feel like it's not fair. What what they say is the problem with her because of a high testosterone levels I feel like it's a gift from God just like in a race they are taller people and they are shorter people so you can't say that tall people should make themselves short so that they can be the same level with the short people just like her it's her attribute that makes her stronger than others is what makes her unique so you can't change that they try that making her change so that she can suit that criteria of a sports woman so just because she doesn't suit their criteria, they're saying that she should not be, she should not participate. They set the criteria, so now they don't want her to participate. They don't want her to participate as she is because she doesn't fit that criteria, which is not fair. Because yeah, she was born that way, and they should be encouraging her to keep on participating with all that testosterone because that's who she is. It's not fair, particularly with when we look at the race dynamics. you could be for you could find good dinner. It's a systematic injustice for the NZU against one black person. Because we, we are used to the world where only a certain skin color excels in everything. And now when another skin color is fake, it becomes a challenge and a problem. So yeah, like he said, Custard was born that way. Azanga, she didn't make herself to be the one, a person with her own level. And after all, now she's a female. She has every female part that every other female that competes in that field has. Yeah, it's not fair what they're doing to her because now guys have a lot of testosterone and they fast. They don't give their medication to like dial it down. So it's not fair. They should just let her be. It's how she was born. She didn't choose to be this way. It's not like she's taking steroids. As we reflect on tonight's discussion, we spoke to Tamara Matubula from the Commission of Gender Equality, who walked us through what the commission does and why the case around Custis Semenya deserves all our support and all our attention. In fact, she made it very, very clear that the IAAF is in direct violation of Custis Semenya's rights. We were also in conversation with Candice Martin, a sports scientist, who unpacked exactly what hormones are, what their function is in our body, and of course how they affect our performance she also gave us a very detailed breakdown and a very important medical understanding surrounding Custer Semenya's case when we just sum up the show the IAAF says that they are trying to create a level playing field and ensure that success is determined by talent dedication and hard work I think we can all agree that there is no athlete like Custer Semenya out there She's dedicated, she's hardworking, she's committed, and she definitely is an example to many South Africans that it is achievable and that it is doable. If they are seeking to create a level field of talent, dedication, and hard work, I don't think this is the way going about to do it. Where we should be celebrating our athletes and our people of differences. Instead, we put them under scrutiny. We invade their privacy and we invade their decisions to identify as who and however they want to be seen in the world. And this is, of course, the conversation that we were having today, to look at our human rights and to to observe and to scrutinize how these rights can be violated. Remember, of course, there is a commission for gender equality and they are set out to represent you in any form of abuse or discrimination of gender. You can get a hold of them on their website, which is www.cge.org.za. You can also call the hotline, which is 080-0007-7. From our producer Simba Honde, our technical producer Gutrano Sarame, as well as our law focus researchers Sesetu Zingela, Siabonga Mota, Millicent Indiweni, and myself, Veronica Mahwadi. Thank you so much for tuning into Law Focus tonight. Law Focus, handing you your rights. Law Focus Podcast.